This episode is brought to you by Ursa Minor Outfitters. Folks, I'm absolutely in love with my Loon mug. It's handmade. It's an absolute piece of art. Whether it's at the office or at the house, people keep asking to check it out. If you're not a Loon fan, they also have other beautiful mugs for wildlife fans of moose, bears, and eagles. They specialize in products highlighting the outdoors and local pride through quality design by local artists. They've even started expanding into items beyond mugs, like apparel, dog accessories, and soon candles and more. They also try to partner and highlight other small businesses and in some cases forgo profits in lieu of charitable giving to help their community such as the dog rescue. So check them out ursaminoroutfitters.com and enter promo code hikesmikes10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And for our four-legged hiking partners they also have a portable silicone dog bowl and also sweet over-the-collar dog bandana. Go check them out ursaminoroutfitters.com and don't forget to enter promo code hikesmikes10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Hikes and Mikes podcast. I am here today with Sarah from the Pacific Northwest. We're going to be talking about her hiking adventures and some of her goals that she set this year. Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit and let the audience know a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. My name is Sarah Yu. I run an Instagram page at The Wild Compiled and a blog, uh, thewildcompiled.com. I started backpacking about three years ago uh, after I moved from California to Washington uh, really got to enjoy the, the great outdoors. In the last year, I've hiked 268 miles in the last year. And was that mostly here in Washington State or did you get venture out to other states? Uh, it was uh, mostly in Washington State, but um, about 70 of those miles were in Utah. Oh, yes. We'll definitely talk about your Utah trip because some of those pictures were, were gorgeous, some of the national parks that you visited. So, Sarah, how long have you been hiking and how did you kind of get started in, into hiking and backpacking? Yeah, so that question's a little bit hard to answer because uh, I imagine everyone to some degree has been hiking most of their lives. Um, when I was a kid, my parents used to take myself and my sister uh, out 
to different national parks in in the Southwest for pretty much the entire time I was growing up. And so um, I had been to all the national parks in Utah, in Arizona, in California by the time I was a a teenager. But um, all the hikes that my parents went on were relatively short distance, uh, generally under three miles, mostly because when I was a kid, I had uh, short little legs and didn't want to go that far. But I really didn't start hiking more than six miles until I uh, got into college. And I really didn't start backpacking uh, ever or really seriously camping outside for the first time until I uh, started dating the person who's now my fiance, Everett. He had grown up backpacking with his parents, short little one night things. And it was a big part of his unique experience. And I really credit him for bringing me into the, the world of backpacking. So shortly after we started dating and we were in Northern California at the time, he took me to Henry Coe State Park, a little state park around the Bay Area. And it was a, a little three mile in camp and then three mile out thing. Um, and it honestly wasn't the prettiest of destinations, but we did get to see a lot of wildlife. We had a lot of fun with the just the, the experience as a whole. And I think that's when I really fell in love with backpacking. And after that trip, I was like, when are we going to go again? Um, and obviously, when we moved into Washington, the entire experience of backpacking just sort of exploded from from there because the uh, the, the scenery uh, in Washington State is just so spectacular. The weather is wonderful all year long. So yeah, I would say that that's my experience there. I haven't done backpacking myself, but I know that there's viewpoints and there's summits that if you do at least spend one night, you can reach rather than trying to do it in one day. It's something that's definitely on my mind for 2023 is to at least experience, even if I start on a one day or go out there and backpack and then do a trip like that. Oh, absolutely. With some of the national parks that you visited as a kid, visiting them as an adult now, do you remember some of the the sites? Do they look different or do they seem smaller or bigger than than you remember as a kid? Uh, yeah. Um, with with my most recent trip to Utah, I was surprised at how small of a distance away um, a lot of the the big focal points were. Like I remember um, when my family had hiked to Delicate Arch, which is that uh, super iconic arch that you see in all the the windows, wallpapers. It felt like this whole all day excursion. Um, it was. It, it felt really hot, really hard to do. But uh, when I went there uh, earlier this month, actually, it was uh, a breeze to get from the trailhead to Delicate Arch. And um, by the time I got there, I was like, oh. That's it. What am I supposed to do with the rest of my day? I feel like when when we get older, the hikes seem shorter than they actually are. I don't know if you've experienced it, but like I'll take a friend on a hike that I've done before and I'll be like, oh, it's super easy. It's just, you know, right around the corner. And then like I keep saying it's right around the corner for an hour. And they're like, I thought you said it was pretty short. So it's funny how like when we're younger, we see distance so far and so long. And then as we get older, I think we see the distance shorten up when it's truly long. Yeah, that's why I keep GPS on me to keep me true. For sure. 
Um, now, Sarah, you um, live in the Pacific Northwest now, and you, you kind of touched base on it, on how you kind of fell in love with the scenery. What's your favorite region that you like to explore in Washington State? Yeah, so I feel like the, the easy answer to fall back on would be uh, Mount Rainier National Park because I uh, hiked the majority of my hike in the Pacific Northwest there, but it actually isn't my favorite national park. I am actually very, I'm very in love with all the regions in Olympic National Park. Um, it's a it's a really large area uh, for any of the listeners who've never been. It spans a big part of the Washington Olympic Peninsula. It has a coastal region. It has the rainforest region. It has the mountainy regions. And so you can keep going back to Olympic National Park. And every time when you explore a different part of it, it feels like a whole different experience. And the backpacking campground there, I think also have a really unique quirkiness that you don't see at some of the other national parks. So um, when I camped there in the past on the Olympic coast, for example, instead of campsites being marked with some numbered coasts like you would normally see at other standard national parks, there would just be campsites all over the place hidden behind some some brush. Uh, and they would all be marked with buoys hanging off of trees. And and in a, in a different region of Olympic National Park, Hume's Ranch, I had a, a backpacking permit there one night. And I had gotten to where the GPS had said uh, that the campground was. And I looked around and I only saw one campsite there. Um, and I thought, this is kind of weird. I thought there were supposed to be a couple more sites around. But as I explored further and went down trails I really didn't think were trails, I found that there there were a lot of other different campsite-esque areas with fire pits and some stone benches in, in the shores down below where it felt like the campground should have been. Oh, interesting. And did you find more people like at those campgrounds? Uh, no. Well, for Hume's Ranch, no. On the Olympic coast, yes. Lots of people hidden in those campsites. You know, for the Washington State listeners, they're, they're going to possibly get at me, but it's it's the one national park I haven't visited in Washington. And, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of permit lotteries nowadays at some of our national parks. Is there such a thing for some of the campsites and campgrounds that um, are in the Olympic National Park? Is there like a lottery system or is, you just got to plan, you know, a week or two in advance and, and you'll be able to get a site? So there is no lottery system. Uh, there is a permitting system, though, and you can usually snag permits through reservations online. So personally, I pride myself in being able to go backpacking very spontaneously without having to plan months or even um, days in advance. So actually, my fiance, Ever and I usually plan for our backpacking trips around the Tuesday or Wednesday before we plan to go out. And we oftentimes check the, the online reservation system and I guess if you if you open up your mind to being just super flexible with where you end up and maybe uh, going places that are less known going places that don't have quite
quite as pretty of views going places that are maybe um, a little bit further than most people would want to go. But you'll find that there are actually a lot of permits available out there. And so uh, staying flexible has really allowed me to be able to snag reservations on any weekend without having to plan very far in advance. And it's also taken me to places I really didn't think I would end up at. Yeah, making sure that you have that flexibility and you'll never know what you get to experience. You have an idea in your mind of, of like, oh, I want to go there, but there might be an equally beautiful place that maybe isn't as well known. Now, this next question, it's it's always hard for hikers to, to answer when I ask it because there's a lot of different variables that come into answering it. But what's been your favorite hike so far, let's say for this year, for 2022? My my favorite hike, uh, I would say, would be uh, the the hike that I did to Dodger Point in uh, Olympic National Park. It was something that I did really early season, but I caught it at just the right time of year, right as snow was starting to melt and the wildflowers were coming into bloom. And based on trail reports, I think I had actually arrived at the campsite the the day or a couple days after the snow had melted out from the campsite because all the trail reports a couple of days before then had said, couldn't find the campsite, we just camped in the snow. So that was a really awesome experience. The roads that take you to the, the primary trailhead to Dodger Point was closed off. And so this is where um, the being flexible thing came into place uh, because I was open to packing on a couple extra miles to take an alternate trailhead from Hurricane Ridge to Hume's Ranch that I was talking about, and then to Dodger Point on my second night. The views up there were absolutely incredible. And from uh, the fire lookout at Dodger Point, I could see the entire mountain ridge where the Hurricane Ridge Visitor Center was. And I thought to myself, that I, I just really couldn't believe that I had started all the way over there on that mountain ridge. And now I'm over here. It was also a really good trip for me because it was um, the first time that I had hiked over 20 miles in one day. So what happened here was I had actually been planning to do a loop where after ending up at Dodger Point, I would head south, take a river crossing, and then head back north and then camp one night, then head back to uh, the Hurricane Ridge Trailhead. But as I was heading up to Dodger Point, I talked to a couple of other hikers. Um, and oftentimes when you're on a trail and you encounter other backpackers, you talk about your trip, your plans, things like that. And some other hikers had told us that uh, they had also been thinking about that loop, but the ranger had warned them when they picked up their permit that the, that the river that I was thinking of crossing didn't have a bridge. It would require someone to ford the river. And at that time of year, I think it must have been May or June, but summer starts pretty late in, in Washington state. Um, at that time of year, it would have all been really fresh snow melt and I didn't have the, the gear to 
um, cross a really cold river that was maybe like knee to waist deep. So when I uh, woke up from camp the following day, I decided it was bright and early in the morning. I was feeling great. Um, instead of trying to do the loop that I had originally planned, I would just backpack all the way back to the trailhead. And that was something like 22 miles. So 22 miles in a single day you were able to, to cover? Yeah, and it was it was hilly too. How many total miles would you say was that trip? 44. 44 miles. Holy cow. Over how many days? Three days. Three days. Wow. Oh, that's amazing, Sarah. Now, 44 miles in, in three days. Had you kind of conditioned yourself prior to that trip to kind of, you know, reach those mileage points? I kind of yes and no. I feel like when most people think about conditioning, um, they think about like people hitting up the gym all of the time and really working towards something. I would say that my form of conditioning was just um, really being consistent. So uh, all of last season, I had probably gone backpacking every every other weekend, every chance that I was able to. And that really helped work up my, my endurance, my muscles. It helped my knees really get used to the shock of going long distances downhill. And I think with all of that experience uh, coming into this season was a lot easier. Consistency plays a huge role, I found, in my personal hiking experience. If I take like a month off, it's definitely a struggle that first hike back. Now, Sarah, we kind of touched base on it, but you did a pretty amazing trip to the Southwest and saw some pretty amazing places. Can you tell us a little bit more about that trip and all the places that you were able to hit up? Yeah, absolutely. So I I went to Utah, which uh, has five national parks, and I was able to at least set foot in all five national parks while I was there. So my, my trip started off actually uh, a couple of days with friends. Then it was followed by three almost back-to-back backpacking trips. First couple of days with friends, because I had been to these national parks before when I was a kid, uh, like I had mentioned, I took them to see the site in Canyonlands, the island in the Sky District, which has a lot of day hikes close to the road. Um, and I also took them to Arches National Park, uh, which, again, is just a really accessible national park as long as you can store a permit. And this season, there was a permit system, which was not there previously. So for any listeners interested in heading to Arches, make sure to snag that. So uh, we were able to explore a lot of the, the sites and Canyonlands and Arches, and then uh, they flew back home. Uh, and that's when the backpacking trips really got started and the long distance hikes really got started. Uh, so the first backpacking trip that Ever and I did was in uh, Canyonlands, the Needles District, which has just a lot of hiking routes available for, for, for backpackers. It's a really awesome place. You end up in the valley between these really huge red rock spires that come up. The way that Ever and I usually plan our backpacking trip actually isn't from looking at trails necessarily on all trails or for, for Washington things, Washington Trail Association. Sometimes there is inspiration taken there, but uh, most of the time we plan out our trails just by looking on a map, uh, drawing things out. And uh, we, we actually almost start with snagging a campsite first, figuring and then and then drawing the route to figure out 
how are we going to get to the campsite? And so we routed out a, a trail that I call the Western Loop of the Needles District on my blog post. But this route takes you from Elephant Hill, sort of west and south to uh, a junction to Druid Arch, where we were able to drop off our backpack just on the, the side of the trail and then take a little day hike to Druid Arch, which is quite frankly, one of my favorite arches in all of Utah, despite having gone to Arches National Park. It's really awesome. It's very, very geometric and angular. So that was a really fun little side quest that we did. Uh, we picked up our backpacks again, um, headed west through Chesler Park, which is a really iconic portion of the Needles District of Canyonlands. And then we went through a little section of trail called the Joint Trail, which I thought was unlike any other section of trail that I had ever done before because it was through a, a slot canyon that got just incredibly narrow. And I ended up in other slot canyons later on my trip in Utah, but this one was actually very, very narrow. So narrow that at some point my backpack was too wide to fit through the canyon. And on both sides of my backpack, I had two hard shelled Nalgene water bottles. And in order to squeeze through, I had to take one of them out of my backpack side pocket. That's how narrow it got. And when um, when I was going through that section, I was thinking back to my uh, sixth grade uh, geology class. And I was thinking to myself, does Utah have any fault lines? Am I at risk of getting uh, crust in case there's an earthquake, but it was a really fun but anxiety inducing experience. Um, we had, we had camped at Devil's Pocket and it was really nice campsite in the middle of the desert. Um, Utah has this really great dark sky initiative that a lot of its cities have. And what this dark sky initiative does is it encourages businesses to reduce the amount of light pollution that they produce. And this makes it so that when you're camping out in Utah in the middle of the night, the the sky just really opens up and uh, the moon is almost like a huge light bulb in the sky. Definitely next time I go to Utah, um, I'm going to try and study the moon cycle a little bit closer because as our trip progressed, the moon went from uh, a half moon to a full moon. And then by the last night, stars got washed out again because of the moon. But yeah, so um, my trip to Canyonlands was really amazing. We got out of there um, but before 10 a.m. the next day and drove across the state, stopping by along uh, Capitol Reef, uh, where we did a short little maybe half mile, one mile hike just to get up and move after three to five hours of driving. Um, then we ended up at Bryce Canyon right around sunset. They have a sunrise point and a sunset point at Bryce Canyon. So we had stopped by a sunset point appropriately around sunset, watched the sunset there. And then we took a rest day, woke up bright and early the following day to go to Zion National Park, picked up our permits from the visitor center. And then we had hired a shuttle to take us from the visitor center to Chamberlain Ranch, which is the trailhead for the full Zion Narrows Trail. And so people who uh, have gone to Zion before are probably already familiar with the Narrows. It's one of their most iconic hikes. If you do the full hike and you're not really scared of 
of water. Um, you're able to go uh, about uh, knee deep down the Virgin River Narrows for a good, for a really good distance before it's recommended that you turn around. But um, the, the National Park recommends that you don't do the full hike from south to north and that you instead do the full hike from north to south. They require permits in order to day hike or backpack the full trail from north to south, which I'm forgetting. I, I feel like it's somewhere around 17 miles total. And the reason that uh, I think they do permitting is because the first couple of miles of the trail are actually outside of the National Park on, on a ranch. And the first probably one to two miles is entirely on land. You're going to be passing by some cows grazing in a pasture before you end up in the river. And then once you get in the river and you get used to the stock of being cold, you're you're just walking down the river and it's just like walking down any other sort of trail. One of the other reasons that they recommend that you only take the trail from north to south is because there are a couple of sketchy waterfall areas, about two of them. And there were some instances where I would just be walking down the, uh, the river, I wouldn't be paying attention. And all of a sudden, there would be a big five to eight foot drop in front of me. And yeah, uh, I guess going from uh, following the river downstream helps you not get tempted to climb the waterfalls. Yeah, but uh, there are a lot of overland routes that you can take around uh, the, the waterfalls for anyone who's a wimp like me. Yeah, that was a really awesome experience. We got to camp on one of the overland areas in the Zion Narrows. I will say, though, that waking up the next day and mentally preparing yourself to get back in the river was very hard, especially because the special socks that we brought, the neoprene socks were still kind of damp at that point. It was it was mentally tough, but once we were back in the river, we were back in the river. All of our experience from the first day of backpacking down the Zion Narrows made us a lot more confident just trudging through the water at a really good pace. So much so that when we started to get into the area that day hikers were allowed to be in, some people had commented about how confidently we were walking, how quickly we were walking while they were still sort of getting used to balancing on the rocks and being careful about their their feet and not slipping. So that was the second backpacking trip. And then the, the third backpacking trip I had done was uh, also in Zion National Park, but in the Kolob Canyon region, which is on its northwest side, um, much, much less popular than uh, the main portion of Zion National Park. This is going to be a relatively short story, but I had backpacked down to Laverkin Creek. When I picked up my permit for this one, the ranger had told my fiance and I that there was a good side quest next to our campsite to Colab Arch, which he said was the seventh largest arch in the world. But he did warn us that the view was not good. So when when I got to camp, I set up uh, my my camp setup and took a little day day pack out to go on some side quests. I went to 
Cola Bark. And when I got to the end of the trail, I saw these two two British guys who were eating lunch and they were like, oh, it's over there. And they pointed and I like followed, followed where their hand was. And it was this little arch way out in the distance. It was really hard to get a good shot of it on my phone, even even with zooming in, um, because it was that far away. And it, it just wasn't like any of the arches that I had seen in Canyonlands or Arches National Park, because you couldn't get close to it, you couldn't get under it. And so you, yeah, you, you just really didn't get a good sense of the fact that it was the seventh largest arch in the world. And one of the one of the British guys, um, when I told him that it was the seventh largest arch in the world, had asked me, like, did the ranger have a long nose? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I had also gone on um, a little other side quest while I was in uh, Colob Canyon to the Hop Valley region, um, which really made the entire trip a lot better. Frankly, uh, the entire route to Laverkin Creek and to Colobarch didn't feel particularly special. It was a lot of hiking in forests, surrounded by mountains, and I'm used to that in the Pacific Northwest. If, if I wanted mountains and forests, I would have gone all the way to Utah, but it, it wasn't until I had ended up at Hot Valley that the entire area really opened up to this really large pasture uh, surrounded on both sides by these really large red rock cliffs and it really felt like I was in the heart of Zion National Park without all of the the crowds. So that area made the trip just a hundred times more special. Nice. That sounds like a remarkable trip, Sarah. Now on that last hike, did you have to get a shuttle or was that accessible by your vehicle that you were in? Yeah, uh no, uh Colab Canyon, you can uh you can drive right up to the trailhead. And how long was this trip? How many days did it take to kind of visit all these spots? So in total, it was 10 days. So it was bookended by two weekends, only had to take something like five days off of work. And for that seventh largest arch in in the world, could somebody that's like a a rock climber be able to to get to it? Or is it really something that's not accessible um, to people? Maybe. I didn't explore that much, but it seems like in order to even get close, it would require first a lot of bushwhacking to cover the horizontal distance to get there. But it was also really high up compared to the viewpoint. So there would have to be someone comfortable um, spanning a long distance free climbing. I'll have to look that up um, and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes so people can kind of see um, that our because yeah, I've never heard of it. I've heard of arches, Canyonland having some gorgeous arches, but knowing that Zion, because the Narrows is so popular, that they have other features that you might not even think of. That's pretty sweet. Wow, thanks, Sarah, for sharing about that. Now we're going to be switching gears a little bit. I feel like most hikers and backpackers have an I made it ritual. Maybe it's a favorite snack or meal, possibly some trail brews, or even just a moment of zen. Um, what would you say is your I made it ritual? So... I feel like this question can be interpreted in one of two ways. I feel like I don't really have an I made it ritual. Uh, once I get to uh, a camp or uh, a viewpoint on a trip, uh, just because I usually pack really light, I don't have um, the ability to um, pack extra snacks or whatever. And I'm always in like a go, go, go mentality when I'm on these trips. So once I get to camp, 
then I'm immediately going into setting up camp mode. But um, after I finish up a full trip, uh, I do sort of have an I made it ritual, and that is to just take out. Um, so uh, oftentimes, um, Everett and I, after a big backpacking trip, will go to some form of all you can eat, like hot pot or Korean barbecue, uh, or we will just get something really unhealthy, like uh, going to Five Guys and ordering two of their largest sizes of uh, Cajun fries. So it's really just packing in the calories after um, ending up with a little bit of a deficit. Do you track your calories on, on an app to kind of not calories that you consume, but calories that you burn on a on a trail? Because I just started tracking it. And when I was in North Cascades, I don't know if it's true or not, but it was saying like I burned 3,500 calories and I'm like, oh, I'm getting a pizza to myself. I do have I do have a tracker. So my uh, Google Fit app on my phone tracks um, calories that um, that I burn. Um, I don't know what its algorithm is, but I also had a Fitbit for a short period of time, and the Fitbit was also tracking that I was burning around the same number of calories. I think the algorithm is wrong. Remember that hike I was telling you about where I had gone 22 miles in one day? It had said that I had burned roughly 1900 calories that day. So sort of um, what the, the average person burns. The, the app take into account something like your total distance covered, but also your weight and the way that the algorithm focuses on my weight, I think, keeps it so that I'm always only burning a, a fraction of the calories that I think I really do burn. And I feel like it it changes from app to app. Like all trails will give you a number. Google Fit or Apple Fit will give you a different number. But your stomach is is your best meter of how hungry you are, especially after a hike. Any Korean barbecue um, spots that you would recommend people to try in the Northwest? There's there's one in Renton, and I'm I'm terrible with names. I think it's called Exit 5 Korean Barbecue. That's the one. It's a very standard Korean barbecue spot, but it I really love the decor inside. Um, it makes you feel as though you've just entered like a little village in Korea, and they seat you in one of like their little neighborhood areas. It's it's super cute. I'll have to check it out if I can find it on Google Maps. I'll also share it on on the show notes for for people to check it out if they're in the Pacific Northwest. So Sarah, you, you kind of talked about it already about how when you're backpacking, you, you like to carry um, light. So in that pack list, what would you consider to be like your MVP of hiking gear? Yeah, 100% my phone, which is uh, a, a Google Pixel 6. But I would say that uh, most modern phones these days are just incredibly powerful. Like they've come so, so far in the last 10 years. And they almost take the place of a couple of your 10 essential items. So my my phone works as uh, a very powerful GPS. And it's able to track my my distance down to the T very, very accurately. Instead of having to uh, bring bring a book like people had to do in the woods 10 years ago or so, um, I have a couple books downloaded on, on Audible that I'll read if I have some extra leisure time at camp. It is also a, a very good camera again camera technology on phones to really come away in the uh, come come a long way in the last 
10 years or so. And they're almost comparable to really good professional cameras with the exception of getting close-ups of animal shots. There's still room for improvement there. It also tracks my my distance. I use it as a, a credit card holder. I'm going to have my phone on me regardless on a backpacking trip. So it has all of these functionalities. And battery life has also improved quite a bit in uh, the last couple of years. So when I set my Google Pixel on extreme battery saver mode, and I apply a couple of tips and tricks to extend the phone's battery life, I can access all of the couple of apps that I had mentioned and still have my uh, phone have enough battery to last something like four to five days. I'll have to do I have a I have a pixel as well. And, you know, doing all trails or, or just tracking definitely consumes your battery. But that's a good trick doing extreme battery saver. I didn't know you could get that much battery life out of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Uh, another trick I have is at night, stick your phone into the, the foot of your sleeping bag. So that way it keeps the battery just a little bit warm and that helps extend the battery life a little bit more. Nice. Yeah. Cause the cold definitely drains it. That's a good tip. Now on the flip side, Sarah, has there been a piece of gear that you thought would be a game changer, but ended up being a, a bit of a flop for you? Yeah. So um, about a month ago, um, ahead of my trip to Utah, Ever and I um, splurged on a hammock tent that happened to be on sale. It was a Kamek Sunda 2.0 that would, it, it was, it was a convertible tent. Let me backtrack. Um, it, 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 it's a convertible sleep setup that would convert between a freestanding tent and a hammock setup with, with a tarp shelter. And, um, when we made this purchase, um, we really actually did think it was going to be a game changer. And we had talked about potentially trying out a hammock sleep system for a, for a very long time before then, uh, because we had had good experiences bringing a hammock with us on really short backpacking trips or um, at car camping sites and being able to, to sit in a hammock or uh, nap in a hammock for an hour or so. Uh, can be really, really comfortable. The problem that we had found with normal ground tent setup is that both of us are side sleepers and a lot of the ultralight pillows that are on the market don't really give you enough loft and support when you're on your side. And so you feel like your head is always flopping over versus in a hammock, because of the way it's sort of bananas, your head theoretically should be more supported. So uh, we we took the hammock tent with us to to Utah uh, and tried it out something like three or four nights. And half of the night, we slept like babies just perfectly. And then the other half of nights, which is awful, it, it's a two-person hammock setup. And probably the worst thing about uh, a two-person hammock setup is the other person in the hammock with you. So uh, there was this this one night that we spent in the hammock tent where about an hour after getting into the hammock, um, I felt like I needed to pee. And uh, in a normal tent setup, like usually I'm like, okay, I can hold it until morning because I, I wear contacts most of the time. And in the middle of the night, I don't want to get in my contacts. 
backpack and put on a headlamp and go outside in the middle of the woods to pee. And when I was in the, the hammock, my fiance kept rolling over onto me, getting his leg on my bladder. And so I I kept trying to push him off. Uh, I was uncomfortable. He was uncomfortable. Finally, I got out of the hammock, peed just blind in the woods, and then popped back into the hammock. And we were able to sleep like babies again. Interesting. They almost need like one of those um, divider walls um, just in case. So you, you can stop yourself from rolling onto the other person. Or... Yeah, yeah, that would be a good idea. You know, the hammock idea has definitely been something I've, I've thought of, but you don't really know what you're getting into until you actually experience it. And I would have never thought, you know, that could happen. But it, it's definitely something that you have to think about. And especially if if the other person is sleeping, like how do you get in and out without disrupting them? Or, you know, do you have to move? It's, it's a lot of different variables you got to consider. Yeah, I think with the one person hammock setup, it would definitely be a lot more comfortable, fewer variables to have to deal with. Now, Sarah, for, for hikers like myself that want to get into backpacking, what kind of advice do you have to kind of make sure that they have a safe and rewarding experience on the backcountry? I would say going back to an earlier topic, just staying consistent. Really, consistency is key. It's, it's what's going to help you improve. And I think having sort of a, uh, a Marie Kondo philosophy uh, is also going to help because a lot of beginner backpackers are really conservative with what they pack. And they kind of should be if it's their first time because you don't really know what it is that you're going to run into. You don't really know what your body needs. But after every trip, just sort of reconsider, okay, like what did I use? What did I not use? And for the things I didn't use, is there something that um, I can cut out so that way I don't have to carry it on my back the next time? And I can show you pictures from uh, one of my first backpacking trips in uh, in Washington State. But I had this gigantic backpack and I had snowshoes on the back. I had an extra set of boots. I had so much food with me and I was only backpacking maybe three miles in uh, in Mount Rainier. And uh, there were a couple of day hikers who passed by um, and they were like, oh, wow, are you hiking the, the Wonderland Trail, which is their premier multi-day backpacking trip that goes around the entire mountain? And I had no clue why they had asked me the question at the time. But now in retrospect, I realized I was packing extremely heavy. You think it was possibly double or triple the the amount of weight that you carry now? Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe double or triple. There, there was uh, another trip shortly after that where um, everyone and I were thinking about like how to reduce our pack weight, and so we we brought a couple of and you're going to laugh a couple of physical text with us in our backpack while we were on a backpacking trip. And when we were reading at camp, we came to the sudden aha moment that this book that we had with us should not have been with us. <laughs> For all of your hiking and backpacking trips, has there been any close calls, whether it's getting lost, uh, maybe an unexpected wildlife encounter, or maybe just ran into maybe a creepy person or Mother Nature just didn't want to play along? Have you had any of those experiences on the trails? Yeah, so uh, a couple of those all at once, wow. all, all of the above. 
um, on a single trip. So um, this was on uh, the, the Olympic coast. I had actually not been planning to head to the Olympic coast that weekend. I had uh, a trip planned out for uh, a little section of the, the Pacific Crest Trail. But uh, on Friday evening, before I was about to drive to the trailhead, um, I popped the trailhead onto Google Maps and Google Maps was like, are you sure you want to go there? There's a there's a massive wildfire going on in that area. And so Everett and I pulled out our map. We pulled up the, the reservation systems and figured out what other options there were. And we were able to find uh, a campsite available on the northern part of the Olympic coast. So that evening, we took the the three hour drive from uh, where we live in Issaquah to the OZ campground, which was uh, right at the trailhead of the backpacking trip that we wanted to do. And we didn't arrive at the trailhead until it must have been around 1am at night. We were super surprised to find a, a camp site available there at all. And as we were setting up, uh, someone started to approach us. And we were uh, a little bit surprised thinking, oh, no, like, we're making a little bit too much noise, um, things like that. But as this man approached us, there was something off about him, uh, a, a lot of fear on his breath. He was a little bit just maybe shaky, I guess. And he introduces himself to us as a new ranger in these parts. And he and my fiance have uh, a little bit of, of a stare down. And he, he asks us, like, make sure that you respect the land and you respect nature. And my fiance says, okay, we can do that. How would you like us to respect the land? And the guy uh, says, oh, just look up at the stars. And we all turn our heads and look up and we sort of nod and um, uh, the conversation kind of goes like this, all all weird for probably 30 minutes or so before uh, he finally takes off and we think we're done with it. Uh, we finished setting up camp. It's almost 2 a.m. at this point. Uh, we head down the road a little bit to put in our, uh, our camping fee. And uh, as we're heading down the road, we see a, a truck starting to drive down the road and we hear a voice in the woods shouting, get out of there, that man's crazy. Um, and so we duck into the woods, just completely confused out of our minds. And we find out that uh, the two people that uh, were, were in the woods were people who had come to the Ozette region to, to, to do some hunting. They were there planning to hunt black bears, which you can get permits for, and turn the, the, the meat into bear sausages or something. I'm really not sure. But uh, in any case, this crazy man that we had an encounter with was the scariest thing that they had encountered on their trip. Hunters who were there hunting black bears. Apparently, this guy had gone over to their campsite earlier in the evening and they started having a conversation. But because they were just trying to get this guy to scram out of their campsite, the man became really aggressive and like told them that they would, that he would come back in the middle of the night and uh, split their throats in their sleep. And uh, they, they stayed up all night long just. To, just to watch their backs, right? So that was um, just 
an insane encounter. I was able to sleep through the night. Everett was not. Uh, but we woke up bright and early the next morning, uh, headed out on the Olympic coast. The really fun encounter with Mother Nature on, uh, on this trip was that on the Olympic coast, you uh, have to really be cognizant of uh, the tides uh, because there are certain sections of the trail that you just can't cross when uh, when the tide is high. And so we had uh, tide maps printed out. We had mistimed one of our things. And so we had to wait a couple of hours in order for the tide to come down. And that wasn't too terrible to manage until we were on our, our way back the second day. We were probably about a mile or a half mile away from the campsite that we had permitted. And uh, the tide was quickly rising and it was just about sunset. It was getting really dark. And all of a sudden, this bear rushes out of the woods onto onto the, the beach in front of us and just sits down, uh, decides to have some nice potty time while watching the sunset. And we decide then and there, like, yeah, we decide then and there, we can't wait for uh, the bear to finish up watching the sunset because the tide's coming up, it's about to get dark. And even worse, while we were waiting for the tide to go down earlier in the trip, uh, when we had taken our backpacks off, we had lost our bear spray. And so we were um, relatively unprotected. So we had we had to turn back and uh, camp somewhere that we didn't have a permit for. So lots of, lots of different crazy encounters on that one. Wow, 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 yeah. I mean, props to you and um, your fiance for handling that situation um, correctly. Like, I think the way he answered and, and you guys answered definitely helped diffuse the situation where I think the hunters were probably more not aggressive, but, you know, hurt with their answers, I should say. And maybe that's what caused their their issue. But yeah, props to you guys for, for handling that situation. I wish and probably didn't have a chance to take a picture of the bear squatting and looking at the sunset, but that would be a, a perfect picture just to see a bear squatting, chilling on the beach, looking at the sunset. Uh, it was magical. <laughs> now, Sarah, the, the one thing that um, I was really interested in learning about you is that you have set off on a, a really remarkable goal to visit all three of Washington's national parks, but to hike every designated trail in those parks. Can you share with us how you kind of came up with that goal and how it's going so far? Yeah, absolutely. So I I guess it's less of a goal that, you know, I'm dropping everything uh, to make sure that I accomplish as quick as I can. Uh, but more of a, a passive goal uh, that just sort of makes sense and rolls into the rest of my backpacking philosophy very well. Um, I do have a, a nine to five job where I work Monday through Friday. And so I'm really only able to uh, get out and go backpacking on, on weekends. I find that it's very interesting to visit the national parks because they are very well maintained and there's so much to explore just in the national parks already. So I find myself just going back to the national parks all the time. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to accomplish the goal anytime in the next year or in the next two years, frankly, because I'm just really slowly tipping away at it every every chance that I get. But 
this year I made really big headway into chipping away at the, the trails in Mount Rainier National Park. I covered uh, a big section of uh, the northern part of the park going to Carbon River, doing the northern loop. I also um, covered a lot on uh, the southern part of the park with heading to Camp Muir and heading to, to Maple Creek. And I, I did a, a little recap uh, a couple of days ago where I said how much distance I covered uh, on the map. And it looks like I'm maybe 50% done with covering all of the trails in Mount Rainier, uh, which is super exciting. Of the national parks in Washington, though, I think Mount Rainier is one of the smaller ones. And so there's a lot more distance to cover in Olympic National Park and North Cascades. So lots to do. You know, uh, there was one point in time um, when I, I lived here before moving away that I kind of wanted to just do chunks of the Wonderland Trail and not necessarily do it in one go, but just chunk it out. That's really remarkable. I bet you, you're seeing stuff that you never thought you would be able to see at like Mount Rainier, just being able to chunk out those those hikes, especially 50%. That's that's amazing, Sarah. Outside of that goal, do you have any upcoming hiking goals and backpacking goals for um, 2023? No, not really. Like I said, um, it's going to take me a couple of years to finish up this goal. I imagine that um, once I finish up the goal, I'm either going to focus on uh, more of the trails in the Alpine Lakes Wilderness, which is a huge area to uh, explore, and uh, on a couple of my backpacking trips so far. I've discovered uh, a couple of secret trails that are not listed on any of the maps that I think lead up to really good backpacking destinations in cross-country zones. So I'm excited to try those out too. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sarah, for, for answering those questions. This next little portion is one of my favorite portions of the episode. Have you ever done this or that question? Yeah. So these are all hiking related. I'm just going to shoot them to you and then you choose the one that kind of fits you the best. Ready? Yeah. Okay. Ascending or descending? Ascending. Waterfalls or summits? Summits. Switchbacks or straight up? Switchbacks. Trek poles or freehand? Second poles. Do you fuel up before a hike or do you fill up after? Fill up after. Bushwhack or go around? Go around. Jump in or stay dry? Stay dry. Sunsets or sunrises? Sunset. Spring flowers or fall colors? Spring flowers. Do you tag a hike or do you not tag a hike? I tag it. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. The goal this season is to compile everyone's answers and just kind of show up on a graph by the end of the season what those things are. And those are really hard questions like the, the sunsets and sunrises, equally beautiful, same with spring flowers and fall colors. But thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time out today to, to kind of speak with me. I want to give you an opportunity to kind of tell our audience social media handles that where they can follow your your adventures and then also um, your blog where you're doing trail guides and kind of giving updates on on your goal. But yeah, this is your time, Sarah. Feel free to plug anything. Yeah, absolutely. I think I had actually plugged a little bit earlier during this, but for any listeners out there, be sure to check me out um, on Instagram. It's at The Wild Compiled uh, or on my blog, www.thewildcompiled.com. I'll make sure to, to add those to the show notes too, so they'll be accessible as links. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. I had a really great time speaking with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. 
A big thank you to Sarah for joining us on the new season of the Hikes and Mikes podcast. Make sure to follow her on Instagram at The Wild Compiled to see pictures from her recent hikes, including her Utah trip. For trail guides and tips and tricks, be sure to visit her blog at www.thewildcompiled.com. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Hikes and Mikes podcast. We'll be putting out new episodes every week throughout the fall and winter. Please be sure to like and subscribe to not miss out on those. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Hikes and Mikes, all one word. Catch you on the next one. This episode is brought to you by Flip Socks. Whether you're on the trail, on the job, or in the yard, Flip Socks will keep Mother Nature out of your boots with their innovative nylon sleeve. You no longer need to worry about any annoying debris getting trapped in your boots during your hikes. Simply flip down the nylon sleeve over any boot to prevent Mother Nature from finding its way inside, keeping your feet comfortable all day long. To get your first pair, visit flipsockswithaz.com and enter promo code HIKESMIKES10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And for listeners who use the promo code at checkout, I'll be donating 100% of the Season 2 promo code proceeds to Big City Mountaineers, who provide transformative experiences through connections to nature that strengthen life skills and build community for youth and disinvested communities across the nation. So if you're tired of bits and pieces of the trail finding its way into your hiking boots, pick up a pair of flip socks today with the promo code HIKESMIKES10 to get 10% off. For website and promo code, See the episode description.